Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Grace Harbor family, it's good to be with you today. So today, we are, we are reading from John 17. I just found out I'm reading the whole chapter, so just enjoy the word of the Lord. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and that they, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those For those whom you have given me, for they're yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me, and I've guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, you in me, and that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, 
and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Um, and that we know you um, because of what you have revealed to us about yourself in them. Um, and so, Lord, as people who, who confess and, and profess the sufficiency of your word, um, would you help us to, to even see what we've just read as, as a uh, profound and magnificent um, window um, into who Jesus is um, who you are as the Father and who you are calling us to be as your children in this world. Um, Lord, we could, we could read that a dozen times today and, and not get to all of it. We could read that over and over again and, and not even begin to scratch the surface. Um, and so thank you, Lord, for um, your love. Um, Jesus, we thank you for this prayer um, that you have prayed for us. Um, may that not be, be lost on us today. Uh, may we not miss what is, what is going on here in this moment um, in the scriptures. We love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, Leanne has read this passage, and I don't need to preach now. The, the text preached, and so we're done. I'm just kidding. We're not done. We've got some work to do um, today uh, here in John chapter 17. Leanne texted me this week and said, hey, uh, wh- where are we going to, wh- where do you want me to read this week? And I have been wrestling with that all week. I just, I guessed. I told her, when I told her, it was basically just a guess. It was a shot in the dark. I was like, I think this is where we'll be. But as we've studied it this week, just have thought, you know what? We're not gonna not read all of it. We may not hit all of it today, uh, but we are going to read all of it, understand what is going on. So I must be honest here out of the gate uh, that, that we are, we're in a little bit over our heads preaching this, this text. We are just completely in over our heads with the beauty and the glory of this text. In fact, this week I read about a, a pastor um, who preached 45 sermons on this chapter. Um, and when he got done, he wrote a 450-page book on this chapter. I don't know who it was, but it was an example of, of someone that I, that I read about um, that, that we could never, in this short amount of time that we have today, really understand what all is going on. Uh, but what essentially is going on is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who would give his life for us on the cross and raised from the dead three days later, is taking a a moment to pause and to pray to the Father. Um, and and he's, it's an example to us. Um, it's an example to us, but, but I, example even just seems like even too limiting of a word. It's just, it's just, it's incredible what's going on here. And so in the scriptures, we see a lot of examples of prayer. Uh, we see Elijah, um, who, who is known as a, as a prayer. We see Hannah. Um, I love the story of Hannah who, who, who prays to the Lord and she's, she's the one who, I think I read something this week that she is the first woman in the Bible who names God, um, that he is the God who sees me. Um, and, and so Hannah is a faithful prayer, one who worships God through her prayer. We, of course, we have the Psalms. Um, we, see, we see prayers happening all throughout there. We see Nehemiah. But here we see an intercessory prayer of Jesus. Um, this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rock your world a little bit. This is what should be known as the Lord's Prayer. 
Um, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew um, is a title that we have put on it. Um, and it is where the disciples are asking Jesus how, he ought, how we ought to pray. But in that prayer, when Jesus is showing how to pray, Jesus says, forgive us of our sins. Guess what? Jesus doesn't need to pray that. Uh, Jesus doesn't need to pray, forgive me of our sins. This is the real Lord's Prayer. And so next time you hear the Lord's Prayer, um, I know that the Matthew one is much easier to quote from memory. I want you to uh, commit this to memory and do this one. I'm just kidding. Uh, you don't have to commit all 26 verses of this to memory, but this is the, the real Lord's Prayer. And so we see Jesus praying throughout the Gospels at different times, stopping to pray to the Father. You know, in, in the beginning of Mark, um, he is doing some incredible miracles. He is casting out demons. He's raising from the dead. And yet what we see as a priority is that early in the morning before Jesus went about his ministry and his work, what did he do? He went to the Father and prayed. And so it's here, uh, even though we have different examples of Jesus praying throughout the scriptures, um, it's here where Jesus' longest prayer is recorded. And guess what, church family? Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for us. Let me say that again. Jesus prays for us. Isn't Isn't that amazing? Jesus, as he is doing today, by the way, like this moment at, at 10.41 a.m. on Sunday morning, August the 22nd, Jesus is praying for us right now. In fact, scriptures tell us that. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25, says that what Jesus is doing, it says, it says this, consequently, Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save to the uttermost. Uttermost means completely and at all times then, now, and in the future. Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And then Romans chapter eight, one of the best chapters in in the Bible, Romans 8, 34 says this, who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So Jesus is praying for you today. Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding for us on behalf of us to the Father. And so I wonder if what we see here in John chapter 17 is the way that he is interceding for us even today. There's, there's likely some difference. And, and something that we need to understand about this prayer before we really get digging into it is that though this is an intense and deeply personal prayer of Jesus, guess what? This is not a gloomy or a somber prayer of Jesus. Um, do, do you see what happens just before? So, so verse one says, when Jesus had spoken these words, so there in your Bible, uh, page 903, John 17, when he had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, what words is he, are they talking about? Well, if you go the verse before that, guess what Jesus has just said? I have overcome the world. That's a pretty triumphant, a pretty glorious and victorious statement that Jesus has made. He's saying, hey, take heart. I've overcome the world. And then Jesus goes into this prayer and it's not somber or gloomy. Despite what some of us may think in in kind of the order of the text, this is not Jesus's prayer in Gethsemane. This is not where Jesus is before the Father saying, Lord, remove this cup from me. John doesn't, I don't think in the book of John that that, that's recorded, but Jesus praying optimistically. He's saying, I have accomplished the work that you have given me to do. This is a victorious, triumphant prayer that Jesus is praying and he's, he's praying for us in this moment. And so it's in that vein that we see Jesus praying today. 
We see Jesus praying in victorious prayer. Now, all of this, I, I hate to pull back from where we are because I just I feel like we're we're really we're 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 on a in kind of a, a a groove with where we're going with John 17, but as we pull out a little bit and see where we are in our teaching series at Grace Harbor on the redemptive community, um, the first week we looked at um, the early church. We looked at four characteristics, and this is what they were. So we, we asked the question, um, what marks, what is that, uh, Aiden? Go to the next, go to the next slide. Uh, what marks this community as a redemptive community? And so this is in context of what Jesus prays. Jesus prays for unity. That's kind of the, I'm giving you a spoiler right now. In this text, in John 17, he prays for unity. And so we are, we are discussing in this series what marks us as a redemptive community in the world. We live in a broken world, don't we? We live in a evil world. And so what is it that sets apart the people of God in a broken world? Well, fundamentally, what we saw from the book of Acts is this. Got it? They are, uh, the, the people of God are a committed, emboldened, prayerful, kingdom-minded people. So they're committed to the Great Commission. Jesus says, go, go into all the world and make disciples, baptize, teach. He says to do those things. Guess what? The people of God in the book of Acts and us today, as we should be, if we are faithful to what God's called us to be, we should be a people committed to what Jesus said, to go. And as you are going, not necessarily, you don't have to go overseas or, or go to a different place to be faithful to the Great Commission. You can be faithful right where you are. They're also emboldened. Hey, guess what? If Jesus is alive, everything changes. If Jesus is alive, the way that you interact with your kids, the way that you interact with your spouse, the way that you interact at work, the, the, the hope that you have in the midst of trying times, everything changes. And by the way, it changes bigger things than those things that I've mentioned. But we're also prayerful out of utter reliance on the Holy Spirit, that we would say, hey, we can't do things on our own. And they're kingdom-minded. They didn't count their losses as, or their personal rights as an impediment to their calling. They said, you know what? If there is something that gets in the way of what God has called us to do, we must first seek God. In fact, Jesus says that, seek first the kingdom of God, right? And so then we looked at just these characteristics. We're gonna fly through these, Aiden, you ready? Go. Um, the next week, we saw kind of what was their behaviors. Well, they were devoted to teaching. Next. They were devoted to fellowship with one another. They were devoted to the formative practices and the disciplines of the people of God. They were devoted to worship. He's going. He's like, he's like I got lunch. Uh, devoted to worship. Um, oh, they were devoted to unity and generosity. Uh, they were devoted to humility and gratitude. This is all Acts 2, 42 through 47. They were a fruitful and an evangelistic people. And so those are the things that we saw from Acts. Is that it? All right, that was the things that we saw from Acts 2.42 that marked these people. Last week, we looked at, hey, what, is it, what does it look like when everything goes wrong? What does it look like when, when you've got this amazing spirit-filled people um, who all of a sudden are facing division? They're fighting with one another. So we looked at 1 Corinthians, and we saw that they were divided over something, and then Paul comes in and says, hey, love is the answer. I know that sounds like cultural and things. Guess what? It's not cultural, it's biblical. Culture stole that from the Bible. Paul says, love is what matters. Love for one another. Love for those who are hard to love. Um, I saw somebody uh, post yesterday, uh, love everyone. Yes, even them. Whoever them, fill in the blank. Yes, even them. Love everyone. And so today, we're not looking at a divided redemptive community. We're looking at a united 
redemptive community. And what better place to start than Jesus here in the, gar- or here in, uh, the Gospels praying for us to have unity with one another. Hey, church, just like in summary, it is the will of God that we be a unified people. It's his will, okay? So if you're like, what's God's will? It's right here. This is his will. This is his heart. And so we see here what matters to Jesus. We just see here that in the final days of Jesus' life, we see what matters to him. And so we can learn much about ourselves by the way that we pray. And here we can learn something about the way, uh, we can learn something about Jesus in the way that he prays. And so if it's true that we can learn much from how a person prays, then Jesus praying for us should teach us much about what his will is for us and what we should be striving for as a people, okay? We see that? And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at what Jesus prays. We're gonna look at what Jesus prays, it's not sprays, prays specifically for us in regards to unity through three lenses or frameworks. And so that's gonna make sense here in just a minute. You're like, that's a lot of big words. You'll, it will make sense here in just a minute. And so the first one is this. I've got it up on the screen. If you wanna write it down, you can. The basis of our unity from the text, I'm gonna show you in the text, the basis of our unity is the sufficient work of Christ. Where do we get that? Well, let's look at uh, chapter 17, verses one through eight. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to these people whom you have given me out of, who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And so as we talk about what it looks like to be a unified body, a unified redemptive community, we start first and foremost on the finished work of Jesus. That's what, this is what Christ has done for us. Everything that happens, everything that Jesus wills and happens in this chapter, all that happens, so Jesus is gonna pray a lot of things. Everything that happens and everything that Jesus wills to happen only happens because of what Christ has accomplished for us. It's not because of what we bring to the table. It's not because of we're awesome or we're great. It's because of what Christ has done. And so we've said this, but the gospel not only reconciles us vertically with God, Did you know that the gospel reconciles us vertically with God, but it also reconciles us horizontally with one another? And so the gospel like isn't just about you and Jesus, you know, your private time with Jesus. It's about what Jesus does in you through with others. And so, and if the and and if if the work of Christ is enough to put us at peace with a holy and righteous God, guess what? It's certainly enough to reconcile you and your brother or reconcile you and your sister, certainly enough to reconcile broken people to one another. In a way, when we are committed to division rather than unity, 
Here's what you're, here's what you're saying with, with your actions. You, may, you would never say this with your mouth, but when we are not pursuing unity at not, I won't say at all costs, because there are things that we are to be serious about when it comes to the truth. But when we, are, when we, when we just kind of have this overly cynical, skeptical um, posture all the time and like we can't dwell at peace and in love with our brothers and sisters, what you are saying with your actions is that the work of Christ is insufficient, that there must be something more that he could have done to just get everybody on the same page. And so we are looking at his sacrifice and saying, we need more. We're looking at the faults of others and saying that something more is needed for peace to exist between us. Now, I don't wanna get too practical here. I wanna just stick with the text and I wanna see what that sufficient work is. And so you're like, okay, what is the sufficient work of Christ here in the text? What is the sufficient work of Christ? Well, we're gonna see specifically from the text a few things. In verses two and four, we see that the work of Christ on our behalf is that Christ has glorified God. That's simple, right? Jesus has brought God glory. The chief end of man, your, the chief end of your life, church family, is to bring glory to your heavenly father. And Jesus, in the text here in chapter two says, uh, the hour has come, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given and verse four, he says, I have glorified you on earth. And then look what he says, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Hey, that word accomplished, when Jesus says it, it's not the way that we use accomplished. Like, hey, when I tell my kids to go clean their room, guess what? They'll tell me, Father, I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And I go up there and I'm like, you sure did not accomplish anything. And so we need to get our definitions right. Accomplished, when Jesus says it, means done. Means, means finished, means there is nothing lacking in what he has done. And so what Jesus, what the sufficient work of Christ that our unity is built upon, the first thing that we see from the text is that Jesus has just simply brought glory to God. He's glorified the Father. And how do we glorify God? We glorify God by obeying God and by worshiping God. And what Jesus did is he did these things perfectly for us. Hey, if I tell you that, um, that, that, you, that the way that you glorify God is to obey and worship him, guess what? You're gonna mess up on that today. You're gonna, you're gonna mess up on that tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. But guess what? Jesus did. Jesus sufficiently obeyed and worshiped God. That's why our salvation is based not on our righteousness or our ability to obey and worship him, but on Christ's. And so what the text says is that Jesus was the perfectly obedient one. He was the perfectly sufficient worshiper. The second thing that we see from the text that, that, that the sufficient work of Christ has accomplished for us is, is this, Jesus has given us eternal life. So verse two and three, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. Guess what? You and I don't purchase eternal life for ourselves. Jesus did. We're just gonna keep coming back, coming back to this. Here's what we do with eternal life, church. Listen to this. Here's what, here's what we do. We connect eternal life with streets of gold. We connect eternal life with mansions, reward. We connect it with heaven. Like we tell kids, you know, do, do, you, do, you, wanna, do, you, do you wanna ask Jesus into your heart or do you wanna go to hell someday? It's like, well, any kid, if they're smart, is going to say, man, get me out of hell, right? 
we connect eternal life with all of these extra things that are biblical and are good and are, and are part of the reward of heaven. But what the scriptures mean by eternal life is a kind of life that starts right now. A kind of life that we're transformed now in this moment. And so Jesus has accomplished eternal life for us. And so what, what this, again, what the scriptures mean is, is life that begins right now. Hey, if you're a child of God, can I just tell you that the fullness of life has begun? The fullness of life is, yes, we're broken and we are messed up and we are sinful people. Still, we're trapped inside this, this body that is still tempted by desires of the flesh and all of these things. But if you are a child of God, you are living in eternal life right now. And that's what the scriptures constantly point us to, that we would be transformed now. Not one day, but transformed now. That eternal life begins upon belief. Eternal life begins upon faith in Christ. It's life now and forever. Eternal life is not only about the quantity of days, it's about the quality of our life. So we would live as redemptive people on Monday morning, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Friday night, that we would live redemptively. We are in eternal life. And then the, and then the final thing that we see in this section, there, again, there's so much here we're trying to fly through. The final thing is, Jesus has made God known to us. And the the text says in verse six, that I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And so the sufficient work of Christ that our unity is based upon is the work that Jesus has accomplished in making God known. This all starts in John chapter one where the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what Jesus is doing there, right? He's showing us who God is. He's showing us who God is. And so we only know who God is because of Jesus. I mean, like if you know God today, it's because of the work of Jesus. Did you know that? It's because Jesus sent the spirit and the spirit came to your heart and the spirit showed you your sin and and, and convinced you and convicted you and illuminated your sin to you and said, you need something more than just yourself. You need, you need a, a, uh, I'm thinking of some big word, but, but you need a savior. We don't have to complicate it. You need a savior. You need Jesus. And so what, what Jesus, when he says manifested your name, when Jesus says name here, it is a term that refers to the entire nature or character of a person. This is amazing. Hey, this is like, this is an apologetic tactic. I mean, maybe, um, if, if you can get some on the same page with the authority of scripture, of course. But this is an apologetic tactic that, that Jesus is making the claim that he is God. Hey, we, we probably have neighbors. In fact, um, I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a, in a Facebook page that uh, has a lot of, U, that's Yukon. And, and for some reason, there's a lot of people in Yukon, neighbors of ours, we're doing nothing at all this morning to, 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 to be disrespectful, but we have neighbors and friends who are Mormons. And, and they, they it, in the beginning of your conversation, will, will build a lot of common ground with you. But when you get more and more down to their argument, what they are essentially denying is the deity of Jesus. What they're essentially saying is that Jesus never claimed to be God. And this prayer right here, this is one of a hundred places in scripture where Jesus claims oneness with the Father. 
It says that I and the Father are one. I have manifested your name. And so there is not anything lacking. There is not a single thing lacking in Jesus that you need to or can know more about God. If you wanna know who God is, look at Jesus. We've said this before, like Jesus isn't like junior varsity God. Like he's not B-team God. He's, you know, it's not God like calling in the backup saying, will you, be, will you go and just do your best, Jesus? No, Jesus is saying, I have manifested your name. And so Jesus has shown God to us fully and sufficiently. We cannot know God apart from Jesus, y'all. We can't know God apart from Jesus. And so this eternal life that we have been given that transforms us now involves knowing God deeply and personally. And so we were talking this week in our, in our sermon study time that this knowing, when it, says, when it, when it talks about um, that, that, that uh, I've manifest, manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Um, and, and then in verse seven, it says, now they know that everything that you've given me is from you. When Jesus uses the word know, it's not knowing about. Can I just tell you, like, it, it is not that hard of a, of a um, objective for me this morning to teach you some things about God. We're, we're intellectual people. We are people who, who love information. I can give you the information that you need about God. But when Jesus talks about knowing God, he's not talking about knowing God by living by some moral code, by going to church on Sunday mornings. But no, this knowing refers to an intimate knowing only possible through an active relationship with someone. In fact, uh, in, fact um, in the Bible, when we see the word knowing, we see it in Genesis chapter four, and guess what context this knowing is in? It's in the context of the covenant of marriage that Adam knew his wife Eve. That's the G-rated version, y'all. Um, you can dig a little bit and probably understand what that means, that, that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a son. So you kind of know where we're going with that, right? So there is this knowing that, that is only possible through a personal and intimate relationship, not only intellectually, but this relationship. And so let's not play games this morning. Like, I'm just gonna talk to you here for a second, just real directly. Do you know Jesus some, I, I've had to ask myself this question and, it, and it's a little bit frightening to, to really ask myself, do, do you know Jesus in this way? Do you know Jesus? Do you know about Jesus? Like, can you carry in a conversation about Jesus? Guess what? That's not what Jesus is looking for. That's not the name that Jesus has manifested to you about God. He has manifested to us who God is and what he does in us. To manifest the name of God is to manifest it to our hearts in a way that transforms us, in a way that changes everything. Hey, attending church doesn't mean that we know God. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus points to a group of people doing deep and profound spiritual work for Jesus. And yet Jesus says to them, I, I don't know you. And, and I know that like, it's really easy to kind of like try to sugarcoat that verse. I, I know it's, it's really easy to just be like, ah, you know, Jesus, surely like I'm not gonna get to Jesus and he says that. But the word tells us that some of us are gonna, st- and I'm not here to cast doubt, but I'm, I'm just, I just want to, to, to preach from the word, like, do you know who Christ is? Have you trusted him? Are you, are you only living by some moral code that says, if I just do this, this, and this, Jesus is sure to love me. 
No, do you know Christ? J.I. Packer says, once you realize that your main business in life is to know God, most of your problems will fall into place. Now, it's not J.I. Packer saying that you're not ever gonna have suffering or struggles, but he's just saying, hey, there's like a profound truth to knowing who God is. John Calvin says the same thing. He says that the two most important things in the spiritual life is to know God and to know yourself. And if you don't know God, if you don't know yourself, then, then it's really hard to, to, to get beyond that. And so Jesus has made God known to us. This is the work that Jesus has accomplished. And knowing God, knowing God is a redemptive work that Christ has accomplished for us in order that we may live redemptively in the world. The second thing is this. Uh, so the basis of our unity is the sufficient work of Christ. Secondly, you got that, Aiden? The essence of our unity is the will of Christ. The essence of our unity is the will of Christ. So the basis of our unity is the work of Christ. The essence of our unity, the essential nature of our unity is God's will. We've already said that. It's the will of Jesus. And so how do we know that? Well, we see it in verses nine through 19. We won't read back all through that, but we'll kind of hit it when we need to. But this desire for unity is Christ's desire and Christ's will both for us and for his disciples. And so it's accurate to say that there were things that the disciples maybe didn't agree on, right? I mean, just, just, what, just the simple calling of the disciples, there were some like fundamental problems. Like there was, there was problems in the foundation of, of what Jesus was doing here, it seems like it would, come, it would come across. And so at the disciples' table, there were Jewish zealots and there were Gentiles. There were tax collectors and there were people who thought tax collectors should be murdered. All at the same table, Jesus bringing them together. And we, like, maybe I'm wrong here and, and correct me later if, if we are, but we don't even have any clear indications that some of these ideas ever really changed. We, we know that what they became unified around was the gospel. We know that what they, what they gave their lives for was for the work that Jesus had accomplished for them. But we don't necessarily have clear indications that some of these ideas, maybe they wrestled with them for the rest of their lives. Who knows? I'm not saying that they did. But Jesus prays that they would, in spite of these differences, and in spite of what may distract them, that they would be protected and sanctified. That's what he's saying. He prays for their protection and he prays for their sanctification. And he says, the way that they're sanctified is by the word of God, is by the scriptures. We're just gonna, we're just, that's, a, that's kind of a commercial break to say, we need to be reading God's word. We need to be reading the scriptures. And so when he says that they would be set apart, it's a set apart for something. It's, it's, not, or it's not only a set apart from something, it's a set apart for something. And so when we think of sanctification, when we think of holiness, we think we're just always on the run, right? Like we're just always like running away from evil. But Paul over and over again is gonna say, hey, don't only flee what is evil, pursue what is good. Pursue what is good. And so sanctification is not only to be set apart from sin, but being set apart to God's calling on our lives. And to what end? We're gonna see here in just a moment for their unity, for our unity. And so unity is the major theme from here through the end of the chapter. And so in Jesus' final days, we see what Jesus is concerned about. We see that Jesus is concerned about our unity with one another. He has established our unity and he's calling us to maintain this unity. Jesus has accomplished it. Jesus has accomplished something that we, that Jesus doesn't have to build his life around us, that we gotta build our life around what he's done. And so he has accomplished this unity and he's calling for us to maintain it. In fact, Ephesians 4.3, Paul says that we would be eager to what? 
Anybody know their word? Anybody? Know the word? Not know their word. Know the word? I'm not like judging you. Come on, guys, know your Bible. I'm not saying that. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Jesus is calling. Jesus goes on to attach our unity with one another in the text. This is mind-blowing. He attaches our unity with one another with the unity that he has with the Father. Isn't that crazy? Like, this is what Jesus is saying. He said, Lord, let them be one in the same way, just like you and I are one. What do you think this unity is like? What do you think the unity in the Trinity is like? Do you, do you think there's gossip in the Trinity? Like the Spirit's like over at the Son, like, man, did you see the decision that the Father made on that? Like, I don't know. You think they're like hooking up at Starbucks um, in the middle of it? I, I've, I've been, it's funny, I've been at um, different places around town. We're in a pretty church-saturated culture. You know that, right? Like there's a lot of churches. This is like church row, like church, here we go, church row. Like you can find whatever you need on this. It's like a buff, ecclesiological buffet, okay? Just pick what you want, Okay. We're in a pretty church-saturated culture. I have been in, in a lot of places over the few years that we've been here since we've planted the church where, where, I'm, where I'm, you know, doing emails or, or just doing something and, I, and there's a table of somebody over here and man, they are just letting their pastor or someone else in their church have it, not face-to-face, but in gossip. They're, they're, they're scheduling meetings to gossip about, and, and, and so he's like, no, it's not gossip, it's prayer requests. No, it's gossip. And it's wicked, it's evil. It's not something that you should do. And in and, and this kind of unity that Jesus is calling for is the kind of unity that he has with the Father. And, and he's saying, I want their unity to reflect our unity. Jesus is calling for us to strive for the kind of, this is mind blowing, I don't even know how we get here. I, I don't have all the answers this morning but he is calling us to strive for the kind of love and unity that exists within the Godhead, within the Trinity. And in verses 18 and 19, Jesus says that this is the way that we are set apart in the world. If you and I and us are going to be set apart in any kind of distinct way, it's going to be our interaction through, uh, with, through our interaction with his word and through our love for one another. Look what Jesus does here. And this is, I've had this planned and um, I really want us to take some time this morning even to pray here. But this is, this is maybe, I won't say out of context, it's a way to apply this that I think is relevant to where we are as a world today. Verse 17 says, Someone help me. Somewhere he says, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. Verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. This is Jesus saying, hey, the world is wicked. The world is evil. And Jesus could have zapped all of us out of it right at that point. Did you know that? He could have prayed. He could have, he, he could have I don't, he could have at least prayed that the Lord would remove us. And is he saying that? No, he's saying, hey, rather than remove them, which is often our knee-jerk reaction, like, man, I just like, need to get a bunker in Idaho and go hide. You know, like sometimes I feel that. I'm with you. 
Jesus saying, hey, instead of that, like, Father, would you give them the strength to endure that which is going on in the world? And so if any of you have been keeping up with the news this week, again, this is gonna feel a little bit like a rabbit trail, and maybe it is. If you can come up with the news, like, you see what's going on in our world, right? See what's going on in the Middle East. See what's going on in Afghanistan. And I've just been gripped by what's been going on there from a lot of different angles and a lot of different perspectives. And we're, like, we're, we're not gonna get into all the details and all the, 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 the opinions on, on all of those things. But what we are gonna do is we're gonna pray for them. We're just gonna pray for our brothers and sisters. We're gonna pray for the church that's there. And Jesus is praying for them. He's saying, hey, I don't ask that you take them out of that. It's like, Jesus, come on, you know, take them out of it. No, Jesus is saying, set them apart in it. Help them to endure. Give them the strength. And so I want us to pray for Afghanistan this morning. I want us to take some time even now to pray for a few things. Uh, I didn't tell her this, but Marissa shared something yesterday that was just really helpful from the voice of the martyrs. There was uh, some ways that we can pray. And so I've got just a few things. It's, a, it's an article that we can share later. I'll probably share in our email this week. Um, and so we're not gonna go through all of it, but we're praying for God's protection. We're praying for wisdom. We're praying for fellowship. Hey, one of the ways that the church in the Middle East is suffering right now is that they're isolated. They, they've been removed from, from the fellowship of, of other people. We're praying for, for safe passage of, of those who, who, who are wanting to leave that place. Hey, this is kind of hard for some of us that we can admit. We're gonna pray that Muslims will meet Jesus. Did you know, did you know that, that can happen? Like, did you know there was, a, there was a wicked terrorist in the Bible that was killing people that Jesus showed up and saved his life, Paul? So we're gonna pray that the Muslims will meet Christ. Hey, there are Muslims in our city here in Oklahoma City. We have neighbors. We have Ted and Leanne Grow. They, they have friends who are living among um, where, where large populations of Middle Eastern um, lost people are here in our city, sharing the gospel with them, doing community with them, living among them. We can pray for that. We're gonna pray for, for those who are trying to help. Hey, something that I think we need to pray for and something that's been on my heart all week, especially because we have several of them here, is praying for veterans praying for people who have served in our military over the last 20 years in the Middle East, the things that they're seeing and the things that they're processing right now are, are sad and angering and traumatic. And so we have even those among us that we're praying for. And I wanna pray for this. I wanna pray for hospitality for the church in America, that we would be hospitable. Did you know that it's, that it's likely, even our governor said this week, and again, a lot of people politically feel really mixed on this, which is not why we're not getting into all of those weeds. But the governor said, hey, we will welcome those who are fleeing from there. Hey, if the opportunity came for, uh, for us to be hospitable, would we open our homes? Would, would we open our doors to the, to the foreigner? Would we open our door to those who are fleeing from, from danger? And so I, I don't wanna spend a lot of time on this. I've been praying all week, and, and I know a lot of you have too, but I just want us to pray in the way that Jesus prayed, that, that you would keep them in the world and that you would keep them in your, your watch. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning overwhelmed by what we have seen, the images, the, the, the narratives, and, and all, of, all of the things that we have to process. Lord, we, we cannot even fathom or imagine the fear and the anxiety that our brothers and sisters are feeling. And so, Lord, you know 
the situation. Lord, we've seen reports of things, but there's also just a lot of things that we're not even seeing any news on. And we just pray, Lord, that you would be with the people of the Middle East and Afghanistan specifically. That you would just encourage and strengthen their faith. That you would preserve their lives. But Lord, even if, even if you don't, I, I, I hope that it's, it's not lost on us praying in this way or that we would pray even in, in a, a, a level of humility, even on this, Lord, that if their lives are taken, Lord, that you would strengthen the church around the world, that you would strengthen their families, that, Lord, we would see people come to know you. Thank you for praying for us. And we pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world. We pray these things in your name. Amen. The last thing, we'll fly through this. So the basis of our unity is the sufficient work of Christ. The essence of our unity is the will of Christ, as we've seen. He's praying for this. And then here is where the rubber meets the road. The result of our unity is a world who will see Christ. The result of our unity is a world who sees Christ. And that's verses 20 through 26. And this is basically, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only. He's talking about his disciples. He's been talking about his disciples. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That's you and me. If you're a child of God, this is where Jesus turns it and he's like looking at you. The profound nature of what Jesus is doing here, it, it can't be missed. Look what Jesus says in 22 and 23. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. There is so much going on here. So we have been given the glory of Christ. Hey, if you're a child of God, I don't even know what this means. Again, you have, you have Christ's glory. That's what Jesus says. I've given them, I have given them uh, the, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them. We've been united to one another in the way that Jesus is one with the Father. What? <laughs> Only the gospel could do that. Jesus is in us as God is in Christ. And the way that the world knows Jesus, guess what, is us. That's what Jesus is saying, that we are the light of the world. This week in our study, we saw, I think there's some parallels to be drawn from John 1 and this chapter, that the incarnation of Jesus um, coming into the world, light coming into the darkness, and, and, and his own didn't receive him, and that he became flesh and he dwelt among us. This is Jesus basically telling us that we are it's almost like we are incarnational. We are incarnational people. We are people who are the presence and the body of Jesus. We are, we are the presence of Jesus in this world. And so what Francis Schaeffer calls, this is, this is why Francis Schaeffer calls love the final apologetic to a watching world. If the world is going to know Christ, it's going to be because what they see in us the spirit working through us, 
Not our work, not our goodness, not our greatness, but because of the Spirit working through us, through love, the way that we love one another, through our presence and through our proclamation. And all of this, church, is based upon the finished work of Christ for us. Not what we've done. And so, church, we have to understand this. If you would, let's stand. The level at which we love one another and seek unity with others in the body of Christ reveals our hope and our confidence in the gospel. Are you, are you biting and devouring one another? Then there's something more fundamental than just your disagreement. There's probably something about the way that you believe and understand the gospel, the finished work of Jesus. And again, I know that in a divided world, this is one of the most this is one of the most difficult things for us to really apply and understand. And listen, again, today, I don't have all the answers for that. But can we just take God at his word for today? Can we just take God at his word and ask him to give us wisdom? I can't give you the wisdom for what this means. I can't give you, I, I'm not the spirit of God to convict you on what this means or how this applies to us today. But what I can say is that his word says it. And if we will submit ourselves to that and ask the spirit of God to sanctify us by his truth, you know that his word is what's sanctifying us, not our knowledge or our insight on anything. It's his word. And so if you don't know what all this means, can I just encourage you to get in the word? And that's how the world will know Jesus, church. And we're gonna seek this and we're gonna pursue this. And, and we're going to walk with one another in love and in patience as much as the spirit will grant us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and that your word has sanctified us, that your word is sanctifying us and that your truth um, fills us as your people. Lord, may we be people of your word, of your truth, not our truth, not the world's truth, but Lord, what your word reveals. And so Lord, forgive us where we even complicate this too much. <laughs> forgive us for where where you say the words of Jesus, the red letters of Jesus say that we would be one just as the Father and the Son are one, and yet we come in and say, yeah, but. Would you forgive us of that? Would you give us wisdom and, and show us what this means? Would you, would you just give us receptive hearts to that? Father, we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, who has accomplished the work for us. Amen.